Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just that is a small indicator that we live in a time where people may not understand that hallelujah is really not just a acclamation of praise, but it is an invocation to praise. Hallelujah means praise ye the Lord. It means for us to respond to the worthy praise of God. In our country, people use hallelujah as a way to just shout, I'm happy. You got to raise. Hallelujah. God may not be in the picture. (laughs) You just say hallelujah. There's a rapper known as Rick Ross. He put it in one of his lines, the chorus of one of his songs, that he's drug dealing, (laughs) and he says hallelujah. (laughs) People think this is like hot diggity. (laughs) Yes. Yet the psalmist and the scriptures actually have provided us a way to incite praise to a worthy object. What I want to do, if you will, is get you to turn to Psalm 146. Psalm 146 begins the culminating section of the Psalter where it all ends in praise. It all ends in praise. 150 chapters, the last are all about the calling the community to respond rightly to the praiseworthiness of God. Let's read it. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations Praise the Lord. The psalmist here is seeking to incentivize community praise. There was a preacher one time who recognizes that this is no easy task because we all are distracted from praise. We all sometimes are hindered from praise. When you come into church, sometimes you can't tell who's uh, down with the praise uh, and who is just sort of waiting to see what goods and services the church provides. So a preacher gets up, he's trying to raise money, and he says, come on, saints, come on, saints, I want you to praise. He said, praise like somebody has a gun to your mother's head, and the only thing stopping the bullet is your praise. That sounds cute, but really what that's saying is the sheer worthiness of the object may not be enough. Let's shift to an object you seem to have affection for, like your mama. If your mama's life is at stake, 
praise, the psalmist would say, no, no, no. Allow me to build a case for the praiseworthiness of the object, the only object truly worthy of praise. And so he begins by giving us a call to praise, a call to praise. Look at verse 1. It's an outward call at first. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This is the name of God. The one he cries out into the congregation, does anybody know this God named the Lord? Then praise him. He expects that there will be the normal response to who he is and what he has done. So he simply outwardly says, praise the Lord. Hallel means to, exa- to, to exalt, to glory in, to boast, to make much, to open your mouth and declare the qualities and the acts of one who's worthy to be gloried in. Praise him. Praise him. Then he says, okay, lest I be a hypocrite, let it begin with me. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Lest anyone not join me, let me praise the Lord, O my soul. Some of you know Psalm 103 that says, praise the Lord, bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, it's a way to stir oneself up to actually give God what he's due. Praise him. Praise is a reflex. When everything, when all systems are go in the Christian, praise will usher forth without a lot of priming and pumping. You also want people to join you because you know that God is worthy of double praise. God is worthy of manifold praise. He's worthy of the the, the room filling with praise. So the songwriter says, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great redeemer's praise. I wish I had more opportunity in myself to praise him because he's worthy. I will praise the Lord. Outgoing call. Praise him. Ingoing. Praise him, soul. Everything that's in me. In Hebrew, the soul is really a synonym for the whole self. So it says, praise him with all that I am, all that I have. And then he goes on to express his ongoing commitment to this praise. In verse 2, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Praise him all that I am. Praise him for all the days of my life. His praise His praise is not simply a matter of the lips. His praise is a matter and a manner of his life. How was your praise today? How was your praise today? And it's not just duty, though. This is an imperative in the beginning. It's an imperative call. It is praise him. Like respond. Be obedient. Yes, praise him. But it's not just duty, it's delight because he says, I will sing these praises. Only the happy heart, only the heart that delights in him sings the praise it's one thing to give him praise it's another thing for your heart to make melodies for heaven make melodies to heaven I want to sing and I will do it all the days of my life this is also a way to say that praise is not just during the praise and worship time that praise is not just until we leave church that praise marks me this is how I do this is how you understand me C.S. Lewis rightly notes, praise almost seems to be the inner health made audible. The natural overflow of a heart that delights in a certain object. If God is the object that your soul delights in, when all systems are go, you're not distracted, you're not hindered, 
you will praise the Lord if you know him. He says, I'm going to do this to my dying day. You probably remember the crocodile hunter. He spent his life chasing crocodiles. He spent his life swimming and looking at strange fish. He spent his life in the jungles, wallowing around with animals, doing what he loved. Wasn't it ironic that his death matched his life? He was stabbed in the heart by a stingray as he was seeking to engage it. His father basically was quoted saying, as sad as it was and hard as it was and still is, Steve died doing something he loved doing. And mate, he wouldn't have wanted it any other way. They were Australian. This is the way it had to be. He says, to my dying day, I want to be involved in the love of animals. The psalmist says, to my dying day, I want to be involved in loving praise to Yahweh. He is worthy to be praised. I like what Matthew Henry says about it. He says, that which is great, the great end of our being ought to be our great employment and delight while we have any being. That which is the great end of our being ought to be our great employment and the delight while we have any being. If people came up in Delray, if people came to you in your car, if people came to you in your home, would it be evident that you don't just turn praise on, you don't just get your praise on, but that your life perpetually is praise? And could they see that you're on a trajectory for the rest of your life to be praising the one who's worthy? Praise the Lord. Well, after he calls the community to praise and announces his own commitment to praise, he then cautions us about praise. And that is, he cautions us to praise only one, the one who's worthy. His contention is that praiseworthiness is inextricably tied to trustworthiness. Praiseworthiness is connected to trustworthiness. Whoever you trust in, whoever you think can provide you the help or the hope that you need, that person inevitably inevitably becomes an object of your praise. So he says, caution you. Put not, verse 5, put, excuse me, 3, put not your trust in princesses, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Why? When his breath departs, he returns to the earth on that very day, his plans perish. So he says, I want to talk about praising the only one who's worthy. And in doing that, what I have to do is I have to remind you, be cautious, because what can hinder your praise of Yahweh is your praise of some person. A son of man, someone of great influence. Someone elevated, he calls it princes, and then says human, son of man, which is just a way of saying a human. A human who actually can't ultimately do anything for you. Put not your trust in the ones that people are prone to put their trust in. Our praise often goes to them. We give it to people of status, people of influence, people who we think control our hope, people who we think can give us help. Sometimes it's the politicians. We're in a day where people are either frustrated or delighted that they have the politician of choice in office. The psalmist would say, put not your trust in politicians, just like it says, put not your trust in princesses. 
Put not your trust in your job. Put not your trust in your boss. Put not your trust in your spouse. Put not your trust in the radio producer or the record company. They're sons of men in whom there is no salvation, no ultimate help or hope. We think they really could do it. We even get cute in church. We start putting our hope in pastors. My elders wouldn't mislead me. I will trust them. It says, ultimately, only trust your pastors insofar as they seem to be conduits of the one that you really are to trust. Psalm 118.8.9 says the same thing. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. One time David sinned against the Lord. God says, well, take your pick. Do you want me to give you to your enemies for a season? He says, or do you want me to take out the belt? He says, I'd rather you discipline me because I can trust what we're going to see in the psalmist, that you have a certain kind of kindness and character, not just kingly power. You see this in Israel's history, their propensity to trust in the elevated of society. Isaiah 31, you can read it when you go home. Isaiah 31, 1 to 2, reminds us of this where the prophet says, Egypt, ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, and who make an alliance but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. God later on calls him a reed, easily broken. He will be of no help to you. Trust not Egypt. There's no salvation in Egypt. I like another story in the Bible. Second Chronicles, King Asa of Israel. Just recount the story with me. Asa takes silver and gold and treasure and he goes to the king, the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, and he says, hey, form an alliance with me. He says, let's make a covenant. He says, between you, you are my father. I am your son. That's his pledging and looking to him for help. Later on, the Hananiah, the seer of Israel, representing God, says this. He says, because you relied on the king of Syria... And did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord, get this, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. He says God is looking to dish out strength. God is looking to dish out provision. God is looking to provide help and hope for anyone who would take refuge in him. Later on, this same king came down with a disease. And the writer says, and even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. And he went to sleep. No hope in the physician ultimately. No hope in the king ultimately. No hope in the president ultimately. No hope in the sons of men. They can warn you about a storm, but they're as helpless in it. They can teach you about good health, but they need sick days too. (laughs) 
They can offer you a job, but only because the economy is still working well. (laughs) They can build, but they can't stop an earthquake from bringing that building down on you. In case of a water landing, they have to make sure they don't die first. And in case the pressure in the air, the air pressure in the cabin changes, they have to put their mask on first. No hope in the sons of men, he says, Verse 4, when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. So everything that he was doing, no matter how good, ultimately has an expiration date. And at most, it's the expiration date that ends when they end. There's a hip-hop saying, there's levels to this. There's a biblical saying, there's limits to this. All hope has limits. All wisdom has limits. Apart from the one who's limitless. And so the lesson is, God will put you through scenarios in life where everything and everyone will let you down. So you will learn the lesson to put not your hope in mere men and women. There is no ultimate salvation there. Even the church will let you down. And it will be the people who you normally can count on. David was normally pure of heart, but on the day when the kings went out to war, he fell back and fell into sin with Bathsheba. Moses was normally a meek man, meekest man on earth, and yet he flew off on the handle and struck the rock when he was supposed to speak to it. Peter, normally gospel-centered in bringing the keys to open up the gates to Gentiles such as Cornelius, but in Galatians 2, even that Peter started being out of step with the gospel. Philemon, you normally refresh the brethren. Don't fail to do what you normally do now with Onesimus. Perhaps you need me to lean on you and tell you that you owe me yourself. Somebody will often let us down. Spurgeon says it best. Adam fell, therefore lean not on his sons. In contrast to The caution not to trust in the princes, not to trust in regular man, not to place your hope in that which is limited and transient. Verse 5, but blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. Blessed is he who doesn't trust in the limited man. Blessed is he who trusts in the limitless God. Blessed is he who doesn't trust in a temporary fix. Blessed is he who trusts in the God who provides an eternal hope. Blessed, utmost benefit, unbound and unlimited enrichment. He says the person who is well off is the person who has rested on the thing that cannot fail them. He defines him here as the God of Jacob. This was just typical in this season of uh, biblical literature, the God of Jacob, but it was basically a way of saying the God who makes and keeps covenant. Jacob was a slickster by trade. Jacob was running from God and God appeared to him and promised him, I'm going to bring you into a promised land. 20 years later, after he spent his life tricking and being tricked, God revisited him and said, now go to the land that I promised to give you. This story was written to a group of people who wandered for 40 years, saw their parents die, and now was about to inherit the actual promised land. 
under the leadership of Joshua. What are we saying? What we're saying is this God. Blessed is the person who knows this God in particular because the psalmist says it. He says, whose hope is in the Lord, his God. You may know of the God, but is he your God? Is he your God? Maybe some of you are not Christians in here. The world often says they believe in God unidentified. Which God do you believe in? We live in a pluralist society where people would like to believe everyone is free to choose the God of their choice. The only problem is that the only God says there is no other. I am the Lord God. Besides me, there is no other. And he's different than the rest. Yahweh has always wanted to show you his difference. And this God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ who showed us, in case you didn't understand from Hebrew scriptures about God, let me put it in in shoe leather. Let me take the God who's faithful, the God who's able in the Old Testament and bring him in living color for you in the person of Jesus Christ. What you saw is that when Jesus came, according to John in his gospel, it says he came to show us the faithfulness of Yahweh. It says, from his fullness, we have received grace to replace the former grace. And then he says, because the law came through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came, he showed us a loyal, a grace that you could depend on. When Moses showed you a law who could reveal your sin, but could not do anything about your sin. Jesus came to do something about your sin, not just tell you you sinned. This God, is he your God today? Is he your help for today and your hope for tomorrow? It is this God, he says, that is help and hope. Help is what you need in the immediate. Hope is what you need ultimately. We have people who are making moves to secure their earthly as though they don't have to give an account one day when they stand before the heavenly. So the psalm says, I can give you something that's for this life and the life to come. Isaiah 45, 5 to 7, look at what the Lord says about himself. He says, I am the Lord, there is no other besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west, there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. Watch this. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. In other words, what God says is I am the one who gives you help. I am the one who gives you hope, but I can be the opposite of that. I can be your worst nightmare too. This is something that is sometimes hard to tell the world because they want heaven, but they reject the notion of hell. They want love, but they reject the notion of wrath. Look at how the psalmist says it. He says he made heaven and earth. Heaven and earth in biblical times astounded people. They were wowed by heaven and earth. But it says, and the sea and everything in it. The sea terrified biblical people. It's not like us where we think a a cruise ship, let's go on a cruise. The sea in biblical times was a way of talking about that which dominated and terrified people. What he's saying is he's help and hope. 
in the good times and in the bad times, in times of awe and in times of terror. Is he your God today? Says this God is faithful. He's not only powerful enough to make the universe, he's kind enough to help you in the universe. He's kind enough to meet you in the world that he made. He's kind enough to bless you in the world that he made. And it won't expire. He keeps faith forever. That's a way of saying that Jesus Christ is faithful when you're not. Faithful when we doubt. Faithful when the economy is up. Faithful when the economy is down. Faithful when your favorite person is in office. Faithful when they're out of office. Chronicle says that he has love that's forever. Isaiah says that his word endures forever. Proverbs says that he himself endures forever. So because he's forever, he can be who he is and what he is and do what he does forever. We have a refugee crisis for at least two reasons. Because people have found out that even if we have a bad leader in office, there's a time limit on him. At most, you're dealing with a bad leader for eight years in this country. Imagine a bad leader who can't be removed. So instead of for eight years, it's a bad leader for 18 years, 30 years. The good thing about Yahweh is he's a king. He's a creator, but he's kind And he's all of those things forever. Blessed is he who takes comfort in him. He won't start good and go bad. This idea Spurgeon brings out, I use him again. He who made heaven can make a heaven for us and make us fit for heaven. He who made the earth can preserve us while we are on the earth. He who made the sea and all its mysteries can steer us across the pathless deeps of a troubled life. This God who still makes the world by keeping it in existence is assuredly able to keep us to his eternal kingdom and glory. Is this your God? The God who enters into relationship? The Bible says in Acts 4, there is salvation in no other name. The name of Jesus is the only name under heaven by which we can be saved, ultimately saved. Jesus, when he came on earth, he began to model this, and we're going to see it because he moves from not only the call to the caution He now says, perhaps you need a cause to praise, the cause to praise. So he begins to unravel reasons to praise this God. Verse 7, this God who is king, this God who is kind, this God who are those things forever, executes justice for the oppressed, verse 7, gives food to the hungry, The Lord sets the prisoner free. Verse 8, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. 
9. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. What you notice is he says, let me give you a cause to praise. Praise is not just emotionally primed up by the band. Praise is not just emotionally primed up by guilt. Praise is provoked by good character and faithful acts. First of all, who he is. Praise him because of who he is. Yahweh. Doesn't need anyone. Five times in the emphatic position, the Lord comes up to let you know who is the only praiseworthy one. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Who he is. And there's a whole track record of what the Lord has done since Exodus when he revealed himself as I am that I am. You can look at his track record. And then look at what he's done since then and it's documented here in these verses. First of all, the Lord, he acts. He gets involved. The deists, our country was originally run by deists. They believed that God made everything, put it on autopilot and then left. He's not all in the mix messing with us. He's letting his world work itself out according to autopilot. The theist says that God made the world and he sustains it and he is intricately involved in it, working out his plans. He acts, he gets involved. It says here he gives, it's going to say he gives food. He sets free. He opens eyes. He raises up. He loves and he watches over. What we see of verbs in the Hebrew are participles, which emphasize that these are what they call durative, continuous acts. In other words, this is how God is regularly, not randomly. This is how God is. It's just you don't have to hope that he shows up to work on the right side of the bed. You don't have to hope that he shows up today ready to do what he normally does. This is how he is. You can count on him to come to work and act. You can count on him to be a giver and not a taker. You can count on him to be a deliverer when he sees the need for delivering. You can count on him to be a healer. The people who came to Jesus, they came to him because they heard about how he would heal people out of the kindness of his heart. How he would feed people out of the sheer initiative of his own will. He was different. So the implication is worship him only. The implication is praise him only. The psalmist is also writing at a time where the Canaanite gods were not really God. They were known to be whimsical. Then there was a lot of idols in their day. The idols were known to be incapable. And the psalm writer said, and sons of men, even princesses, princes and princesses are known to be too temporal. You're either going to find somebody who's unable, you're going to find someone who's whimsical, good day, bad day, maybe I will, maybe I won't, or you're going to put your hope in someone who's temporal. The getting's good while the getting's good, but then it's over. Blessed is the one who's trusting in the one who's regularly acting on behalf of his own glory and the good of those who take trust in him. 
blessed, blessed. Only the Lord is active, able, and faithful forever. Who does he do this for? We have to get this straight because some people think God is so into doing good things that he's just a pinata. All you have to do is swing and out comes his goodness indiscriminately. His goodness is gracious, but his goodness is not indiscriminate. Verse 8 says, the Lord lifts up those who will bow down. The Lord loves the righteous. In the Bible, no one is righteous, no, not one. So what is he talking about? He's talking about people who snuggled up to the one who says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Theirs will be kingdom covering. Theirs will be the kingdom. In other words, are you going to this God? Are you coming to Jesus Christ because you recognize you are oppressed? Yes, some people are oppressed by a system. All of us are oppressed by a devil. All of us are oppressed by a wicked heart. Some of us are actually hungry. Some of us are hungry to be righteous in a way that would make God not disappointed, but make God happy. We want to be the kind of righteousness that God is looking for. I'm hungry for righteousness. God says, blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Come to the king who regularly feeds the hungry. Come to the king who regularly Lifts the oppression off of you. Some of you are actually prisoners. He says, prisoner, he loves to loose the shackles. He loves to loose the shackles. Addiction got you? He loves to set prisoners free. Unable to see the glory of Christ and the wisdom of divine thinking, of biblical thinking, of Christian ways, which are often backwards to a culture. He loves to open the eyes of the blind, verse 8. Not in the in crowd. Nobody of particular repute. Not necessarily the cool kid. Not necessarily somebody important. It says here, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. Loves righteous. This is talking about how God is in his kingdom. So you want this king. This is the king that says, this is the kind of help I provide. And because I do it forever... Because I do it for this life and the one that's coming, the life that ends at the grave and the one that continues for eternity, blessed is he whose hope is in me as well. Hmm. The Lord Jesus, when he came, opened up a scroll and quoted from Isaiah. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. To proclaim liberty to the captives. He said that this is my mission to live out and show off the character of the God of Psalm 146. The one who is able to do it and who has a heart that's willing to do it. So verse 10 concludes like it started. The same way all the hallelujah psalms start and end with the call, a concluding call. The Lord will reign your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
the Lord Jesus, if you look at his life, he came on earth and people chased him because he solved physical needs, but he came to offer the solving of physical needs as a way to drive people to him for their eternal needs. And because he can provide your physical and your eternal needs, he says, is that not enough incentive for you to now respond? Bless the Lord, praise the Lord, worship the Lord. Look to your friends, as they say in church. Turn to your neighbor and say, praise the Lord. But don't do it just to your neighbor. Turn to your soul and say, praise the Lord. Fast forward to Psalm 150. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Don't just do it because the band is up front. Do it because he's help and he's hope. He's king who's able and he's kind, he's faithful. This verse that scares you says he does all of these things. But don't miss the but. But the way of the wicked in verse 9, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruins. This takes you back to the first psalm, Psalm 1. There's a bunch of blessings that go out to certain people. Blessed are the people who take their hope in the one who solves our sin problem. The wicked are not so. The wicked are those who demand their right to find their own help and their own hope. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff with the wind blows away. The Bible calls you wicked if you know you're needy or don't know you're needy, but stand before him in your self-sufficiency. If you find hope in something or someone else, the Bible says then you remain in need of the one thing that you're bankrupt of, the righteousness I require. The Lord Jesus, who was full of that righteousness, came and he died on the cross for people who recognized their need. The Bible says that he fulfilled God's law perfectly to show us that he himself did not need to be a sacrifice for his own sin. Then the Bible says that anyone who would turn to him in faith, that he would give them his righteousness in exchange for their spiritual bankruptcy. Do you want to find help and hope in Jesus Christ today? We offer him to you. The Bible says just throw yourself on his mercy. Believe on him and be saved. You don't want to be like the wicked who come to ruin, those who stand before him without help and without hope. If you go back, one of our DTS professors, Dr. Ron Allen, has a great sort of conclusion to this psalm as he talked about a group, a sect called the Dead Sea sect. If you've ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, they were, there was a community called the Qumran community. And they are the reason why we have su- such evidence of how valid our Old Testament especially is, Hebrew scriptures. Well, they were impacted by Psalm 146. And so they wrote as lo- uh, their own psalm because of it. As long as I exist, A decree engraved shall be on my tongue for fruit of praise and for a gift of my lips. I will sing with knowledge and all my music shall be for the glory of God. My lyre and harp shall be for his holy fixed order and the flute of my lips I will raise in his just circle. 
when I was coming out of the world, I felt like this. That God was so worthy of praise that he should have my microphone. That he should have my billboard. That he should have my pulpit. That he should have my stage. That in the midst of his people, I would declare his excellency. And then I would leave out representing his people and let the world know what it is that we get so excited about. What it is that we do perpetually. What it is that we do as a lifestyle and made much of Jesus Christ. We want to invite you today to do what the psalmist says in double time from start to finish, first verse to tenth verse. Everybody, praise ye the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of the Lord Jesus with a resolve and a determination that you are worthy and we are capable of rightly recognizing and responding properly with our praise, our lofty exaltation of who you are because we see who you are and what you've done. If someone is not a believer in here, would you drive them to you knowing that you are a king, but you're kind. You are help for this life, but you are the hope they need for the life to come. And would you Allow them to join your people as we declare to a world. Jesus is Lord, and he's worthy to be praised. We pray these things in his name. Amen.